Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Hamilton farmer's market may be on the move. A new tool to report hate incidents in Hamilton. Learn about a weird rule about life jackets. You may notice a change on Facebook and Instagram. Working moms have changing priorities. And we tee up the Canadian Championship quarterfinal with Forge FC captain Kyle Becker. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The future of the farmer's market here in Hamilton is up for debate again. Council has received a consultant's report and uh, will now consult with not only the vendors in the market, but area stakeholders as well as to what to do next. And well, two of the options are either renovate the downtown Hamilton farmer's market or potentially temporarily or permanently move it somewhere else. Maureen Wilson is the councillor for Ward 1 in the city of Hamilton and joins us on GMH. Maureen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. So you have received this consultant's report. It's recommending that, listen, we can either fix this thing up uh, gradually or temporarily or permanently move the farmer's market. Do either of those proposals speak to you? Well, if I could just step back a little bit. Um, So the last term of council wanted to look at the market and and establish a vision for it. And that vision would be to guide any future planning and operational decisions. And so a consultant came on board, a consultant that focuses on the importance of public spaces and engaged in a lot of consultation with vendors, with neighboring properties, with uh, shoppers, um, and a whole bunch of people who go in and around the market. And what they uh, determined was that this is a 186-year-old public institution. And the question is, is it valued and is it valuable? And the answer overwhelmingly was yes. So it, it's time to take this space seriously. And right now, um, from that consultation, they determined that the space is actually not, it's not working. It, it doesn't allow for good flow for users. It doesn't allow for pop-up space and alternative use within the market. And it's cut off from a lot of the other neighboring spaces and it's cut off from people. And in fact, if you go down York Street or that area, it, it's kind of hard to find the farmer's market because uh, good working markets are busy, noisy, and you see people and it spills out into the public realm and you don't have that here. So that that's just, I wanted to give that a little bit of background on, the, on that. I'm glad you did. What, what is What is the game plan going forward then? So the game plan going forward, is, as folks know, um, the city of Hamilton owns the Hamilton's Far- Farmers Market. It's a municipal uh, corporation established under the law. And so the report itself and the recommendations is going to all go over to the Hamilton Farmer Mar- Farmers Market Board. And that board consists of elected members uh, from Hamilton City Council, uh, vendors, members of the public. So they're going to chew through the report. And then it'll come back to Hamilton City Council because council is the sole voting member uh, of the market. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Maureen Wilson, the councillor in Ward 1 for the City of Hamilton. We're talking about the future of the Hamilton Farmers Market. Is the wish to keep it downtown if it does have to move? Well, I, yes, I, I think very much so. It is... Um, I, I loved your intro music, by the way, and it talked about <laughs> I'm the soul man. And I think overwhelmingly, uh, downtowns have farmers market, and that is the that is the soul, that is the heart of the downtown. Believe it or not, it's not city hall; it's actually <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it's actually a market because a market is um, it's a pl- place where entrepreneurs begin. And that was another one of the recommendations. You know, it used to be that um, strip malls, if you were a new Canadian or wanted to begin um, a business in um, the, the, the restaurant, the food business, you would get a relatively economic space in a strip mall. Well, we know that those those tiny strip malls, particularly in the downtown, are one by one disappearing um, and being replaced with larger builds. So uh, a farmer's market, um, those are evolving places where if you want to try your hand at, at a small business, um, you, you have a niche uh, food thing you'd like to try and introduce before you move into uh, a more expensive storefront, you can do that at the market. Um, there was talk about expanding the market hours and um, making uh, allowing for licensed establishments. You know, people attract people. And we also know that the downtown will be going, is going, undergoing a considerable change and um, certainly will be in the future. So we've got a, a plan for that. And so the consultant said, listen, um, while that change is ongoing, and if you pursue um, uh, changes to the market layout, um, we're going to have to figure out, you're going to have to figure out what do you do with the, the businesses and the vendors that are there now? Do you do, you do that work while they're there and, and really work hard to make accommodations so it becomes a place where people can still go and businesses can thrive? Or do you move them temporarily while that work is undergoing? And I don't know the answer to that. That's going to be forthcoming. Last question for you. We only have about 30 seconds. It probably won't take that long. But how much are we willing to spend on this? Well, how much we're willing to spend on on um, giving the market the attention it deserves, um, that is to be determined. But what the uh, staff, not the consultant, but what the staff said was, give us $200,000. And with that $200,000, we're going to engage and provide uh, you a conceptual design of of uh, what that internal space and external space that touches and reaches the street that relates to the uh, downtown library, that relates to Jackson Square, that relates to the rooftop. Those are all, all underused assets, and that's what the first consultant said. Like, there is no relationship there because the market design, as it evolved over time, um, reflected the times, which was Hamilton was a place you drove through. It wasn't a place to congregate. Actually, Lyda, I got one more question for you because we do have an additional 30 <laughs> seconds. Um, we got an email earlier this morning from a listener uh, named Donna who said she did, she hasn't gone to the farmer's market in like 10 years because, you know, she doesn't really want to go downtown in, in into the downtown core. Is part of this change to, to help revitalize the core? Um, well, people have been uh, talking about the demise of cities uh, for hundreds of years. And cities have always thrived if they're given the right conditions. To do so, I can't make someone come down to the the market. But if we ensure that the market is a friendly place to be, is accessible, you want to be there. There's other people there. It will thrive. And I think it's a 186 year institution, and we want to keep it going for another hundred years. Yeah, if we if we get the conditions right, it should do that. It must be doing something right if it's nearly 200 years old. That is for sure. Maureen, thank Older you for than your. You. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, Maureen, <laughs> thank you for the me. time today and enjoy your day. Thank you. Maureen Bye. Wilson is a counselor for Ward 1 with the city of Hamilton. Just got an uh, Instagram message from Ward Dive. It's either Ward Dive Bar or Ward Div Bar. Uh, picked up some delicious honey biscotti last week at the farmer's market. Well, thank you very much. And I'm sure you enjoyed that as well. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It happens in schools. It happens in hospitals. It happens when you're just grocery shopping. Um, And so creating that safety and recognizing that safety needs to be a Hamilton-wide initiative. Uh, is incredibly important. That is Ruth Rodney of the Afro-Canadian Caribbean Association who says there are so many places where people experience hate on a regular basis. That's no way to live. With that in mind, there's a, a new community website that has been created to help report hate incidents and uh, maybe equally as important to connect people who are facing these incidents with the resources that are out there to help them. We support Hamilton.ca is the website. It has an anonymous reporting tool, uh, resources for things like counseling, education, and legal support. It is one-stop shopping for those who are encountering hate, unfortunately, in our community. Dr. Emil Joseph is an associate professor of social work at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Joseph, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. We know why this is being done. What do you think the uptake is going to be for those who are searching out this website and potentially uh, addressing issues that they face? Well, I think it's uh, definitely a unique initiative that uh, a lot of work went into over the last five years coming out of uh, 2019 and the attack on Hamilton Pride, as well as you know ongoing uh, an ongoing status in Hamilton of high, having a high number of police-reported hate crimes. We, uh, a number of community agencies and organizations, community leaders, thought this platform was also a response to an ask out of the pilot year of the Hamilton Anti-Racism Resource Center uh, to to have an online platform where people could uh, report their stories uh, and connect to supports immediately. Uh, Hamilton Anti-Racism Resource Center and the Hamilton Center for Civil Inclusion will be the direct contact points uh, to connect people to, to services and support and care when they experience hate, rather than wait for a report to result in a finding of a hate crime or, uh, you know, taking things to an employer or a human rights tribunal. Or Those are still, of course, the, uh, the areas where people be able to be supported and navigating to this tool is something that people can connect to pretty immediately. So what happens when a hate incident or a hate crime, let's just call it that, is reported on the website, we support Hamilton.ca? What happens after that? Well, you get to decide. So as the, the person reporting, uh, you know, you might choose to think about your issue, to write it out, uh, to c- connect with someone in person, uh, or just to access resources when you've, you've entered some of the information about your story. Uh, you might also find that you uh, want to bring this to someone else's attention and, and you want support with that. Uh, so it's really a website that allows for the person who experienced hate to feel validated and be supported in, in their choices and what they want to do. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Emil Joseph, Associate Professor of Social Work at McMaster University. And we're talking about a new community website that's been created to help report hate incidents in this community and connect people with resources that are out there to help them along. That website is wesupporthamilton.ca. Is is there going to be a vetting stage uh, before any information is shared with police or, or other resources? So uh, the the organization's have made clear on the website that they are not a reporting mechanism to the police, but 
the uh, the website also uh, will provide clear information on how to access and how to contact any necessary and relevant uh, other reporting mechanism uh, and, and offer support for, for people to do that should they choose. The Hamilton Police already have a website that allows for people to report hate crimes and hate incidents. Do you think this website could lead to other ways in addressing hate crimes in this community? I think it'll do more than address just crimes. I think it'll be uh, a, a place where people can access and find support, but also a way where community members, leaders, organizations, and agencies can pick up pieces of the work and pieces of the advocacy to see what's happening across sectors, in schools, in healthcare, in neighborhoods, in policing, you know, in, in public services uh, uh, across the board. I think it'll be a different kind of way to respond to people's needs around hate. For those in our community who don't have access to the Internet, is there a hotline or is there someone they can go to or somewhere they can go to to uh, report these kinds of incidents? There's, there's uh, the organizations and agencies that helped partner to create this, and a lot of the work went into the advocacy for the Hamilton uh, Anti-Racism Resource Center um, to be an in-person service. And that does exist. Uh, the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion is another uh, partnering agency that allows for that kind of personal connection. The website as well is also uh, you know, a place where people can just find information on how to connect to someone directly. This sounds like it's going to be a phenomenal uh, tool for many in our community and, and I hope is going to do a lot of good in this community and at least address this issue head on and maybe not eliminate it because that might be wishful thinking, but certainly deter those from, from spreading hate. Dr. Joseph, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Dr. Emil Joseph is an associate professor of social work at McMaster University, joining us here on GMH. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Did you know that there is no law in place that requires children to wear life jackets while on a boat? I had no idea. I thought that was the law. It, it It's absolutely true, but... The good news is this could change very soon. There's an Ottawa area MPP that has introduced a private member's bill. It's called Joshua's Law, and it's named in honor of a young boy who died in a boating accident in this province. And it would make life jackets for kids 12 and under mandatory, which I, you know, to me, that makes a lot of sense. With that in mind, and with the summer boating season about to begin in earnest, I think it's a good time to talk about safety on the water. Let's do it with Constable Mark Fibbs from Hamilton Police's Marine Units. Constable Fibbs, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? I, I'm, I'm good, but I can't believe that there's not a law mandating life jackets for kids. This, this is weird. It is surprising, isn't it? And so, I mean... It, when you see a family out on the water with uh, on a boat, no one's wearing a life jacket. Of course, you're going to those individuals and say, "Hey, you know, it's it's probably a good idea for you to put on a, a life jacket." Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that we keep an eye out when we're on the water. If we see children, especially the younger they are, the more important it is. But um, yeah, we're going to stop that boat and we're going to do a full safety check on them. And if you know if people don't think that it's a good idea to have life jackets on kids, well, we're going to ensure that they have every possible safety thing on their boat just to at least know that they're prepared to be out there because in my mind, if you don't have a life jacket on a child, well, you're not really prepared to be safely using the water. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. What are some of the most common mistakes boaters, 
those who have been on the water many times and, and those amateur boaters make on, uh, on a, whether it's a daily basis, weekly basis, or just sometime during the summer? Well, I, preparation is what I find that people lack when they go out on the water. I think people, you know, you get in your car every day, you don't think of it, you just jump in and away you go. With boating, we always try to preach, take your time before you go go out, right? Like prep, make sure you have your safety gear on, make sure you're, the flashlight's working, not just in a box somewhere that the batteries aren't even in it. And um, go through your flares, make sure they're not expired, Make sure, like, because they expire um, four years after the date of manufacture, they're expired. So people don't know that, and sometimes they'll have flares that are 12, 13 years old while they've been in and out of a boat, they get damp, all that stuff, right? So my big thing is prep, look at the weather ahead. Is it going to be a windy day? Is it going to be a stormy day? Is it supposed to be nice for two hours and then the wind's going to change? Like, just take some time before you go out to ensure you have your safety equipment uh, check the weather, and again, if you have children, make sure you have at least have the life jackets on board. It is the law to have a life jacket on board for um, every person that's on the boat, but again, this children's child thing is, uh, we're hoping it changes here before the summer gets going. Yeah, that would be nice. Constable Mark Fibbs is our guest from the Hamilton Police Marine Unit. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. D- having a designated driver is key when you're driving around town because, hey, if you're going to a party and uh, you know some of your friends are going to go to the bar, you should at least have a designated driver. That should also be the case on the water as well. Absolutely. Uh, an impaired on the water is the same as it is uh, on the road. And the other thing with boating is, I think a lot of people, um, maybe a little more old school, thinking that alcohol and boating go together. Well, that couldn't be more wrong. Um, most boats, you're not even allowed to have alcohol on them, um, even if it's even if the driver is completely sober. Most boats, unless they have a certain level of like a washroom and cooking, um, then you can't even have alcohol on that boat. So uh, it's one of those things where I think people don't realize that sometimes. But again, it goes back to preparation and knowing what you're supposed to do and what you're allowed to do while you're out on the water. That's a great uh, tidbit of information. I'm sure most people didn't know that. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds. Are you expecting a very active summer boating season? Yeah, it, it, it's weather dependent. I find if, um, you know, last year it slowed down a bit. During COVID, it was it was crazy out on the water. But we have noticed a, a lot more sea dew traffic out here, which, um, you know, people are renting them and they don't really know what they're doing on them. They just pay some money and go out and rent them. Um, a lot of times these rental companies, they just you get a license when you... You sign up to rent, you get a license to drive these things, and they have no idea. <laughs> so the, the one big thing I would say, know that star 16 on your cell phone calls the Coast Guard. So some big boats have VHF, but a lot of smaller boats, they don't have that. And uh, if you call star 16 um, or 911, obviously, and, and we can come, but um, star 16 gets you to the Coast Guard, and that's where if you're in trouble, um, they have you know helicopters and boats, and they'll contact us too, and you can kind of get a, a bigger... Uh, reaction. So, Lots of great takeaways from Constable Mark Fibbs. Thank you very much for your time this morning and be safe on the, on the water this year. No problem. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Constable Fibbs from the Hamilton Police Marine Unit. Some, some awesome tips out there. Star 16, had no idea. Alcohol with most boats, yeah, I had no idea. There you go. Lots of takeaways for you here on GMH. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There's a bill in Parliament right now, it's actually in the Senate, that could mean some pretty big changes to things like your Facebook and Instagram pages. And it all revolves around 
the news that you receive on those social media platforms. It's called Bill C-18, and uh, basically it would require tech giants like Meta to pay Canadian media companies like CHML parent company, Chorus Entertainment, uh, for linking to or otherwise repurposing their content online. So when, when we generate news stories, that goes, of course, on the CHML website, but it also goes on websites like, well, Facebook. And so uh, there's a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a head-to-head here between companies like Meta and these Canadian media companies, certainly through this bill. Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and journalist and joins us now on GMH. Carmi, good morning. How are you? Great to be here, Rick. Thanks for having me. I'm well. Did I explain that correctly? Yeah, perfectly. Uh, and, and I could feel my blood pressure rising <laughs> as you did because... You know, governments want to level the playing field and make it fair because big tech companies like Meta, uh, like Google, have been getting, they've been basically been getting media content, news, journalism output for free for years. And then they've been turning around and making money off of it by selling ads against it. So they've had, they've really had a, a, an amazing deal for a while. And what Bill C-18, the Online News Act, will do is it'll level the playing field. So, hey, you know, if you're part of that economy, you should contribute back into uh, the the journalism that is allowing you to make money. Uh, and th- this happened in Australia. They enacted a very similar law. Canada's is modeled after it. And they fought it there too before eventually relenting. And now here in Canada, they're fighting it tooth and nail because I guess they still want the free ride to go on forever. Uh, and as a Canadian, one, and as a journalist, two, uh, I find that an affront. They just sort of keep behaving like bullies. It's the most annoying thing. Big tech companies don't like when governments tell them something that they don't like. And so what do they do? They threaten to take their ball and go home. It's it's unreal. Now, from Meta's perspective, from, from Facebook, Instagram, they're saying, listen, we're offering you a free platform to showcase your stories, to promote your brand. We should just keep it like this. Yeah, you know, anyone who has ever been offered, you know, we're not going to pay you, but we're going to pay you an exposure. So no money, but you'll get exposure. Uh, and I've heard that, I don't know how many times in my career, and certainly media companies, you know, the, the industry has flipped over over the last 30 or so years since the commercial internet became a thing. Used to be advertising dollars all went to traditional media because that was your only choice. If you wanted to advertise, you called up a newspaper, a radio station, television station, magazine, and that was where you put your money. Well, now, of course, digital platforms have essentially transferred that over they've taken over the advertising market uh, but they're using content that other people have created and paid for so you know yeah i mean to a certain extent this is the way it's been since the commercial internet began but that's been an imbalanced and unsustainable situation at some point someone has to pay the piper uh, and uh, and if you are if you're meta and you're making billions of dollars and google as well billions of dollars off the backs of others it's entirely fair for governments to step in and say, hey, we've got to right this wrong. And we have to ensure that communities are still served by media, because if bills like this are not introduced, that's not going to be the case. Another big factor in this is that if uh, Facebook, in this case, were to say, all right, we're, we're not going to pay to put this content online, therefore the content's not going to go on our, our web pages, so to speak, it, it, it could lead and it will probably lead to more disinformation and misinformation because, well, people rely sometimes on their social media to get the news and they're not really going to get the news in this case. Yeah, I mean, you could always, it, it'll disappear 
from Meta or from Google. So you won't be able to find it in a Google search or it won't show up in your social media feed if, if the worst happens here. But of course, you'll be able to go to the website to be able to view it. So you go back to the media organization's website. But we all know that the way we discover content today is not like that. We no longer surf the web looking for things. Increasingly, social media is the way that we discover new content, including media content. So, you know, yeah, the, the problem here is if big tech decides, oh, we're just going to take our ball and go home, it makes it a lot easier for misinformation and disinformation to spread because, as we know, uh, you know, Canadians are really not going to work very hard to go look for new content. Uh, they're going to take whatever hits them directly. They don't want to put in the effort which, of course, makes it easier for bad actors to do what they do and spread their lies. Uh, and, of course, it makes it much harder for the truth to kind of bubble up to the top. Uh, it's a mess. Uh, and we know, we know for, like a couple months ago, Google got summoned to the House of Commons because they started, they launched a, a test. Four percent of Canadians were not served their news for a period of a few weeks. Uh, and now, of course, Meta is uh, putting together a, a, a content blocking team to test it out as well. So they're rattling their sabers, basically telling the Canadian government, we know what you're doing. We don't like it. Uh, and, and we will take our ball and go home if this bill becomes law. It's ugly no matter which way you see it. And it's incredibly frustrating because they already made this deal in, in Australia and Canada should have followed suit, yet for whatever reason, the tech companies are being incredibly belligerent about it. Interesting stuff. Carmi, thanks for breaking it all down with us today, and enjoy the rest of your day. Appreciate being here, Rick. Thank you. Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist, always doing a fine job in telling us what we need to know when it comes to the tech industry. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. When it comes to moms in the workplace, what are the top priorities and concerns? Well, there's new research out from Robert Half, a recruitment agency that shows that some moms would accept a salary cut, a salary reduction, to be 100% remote. So they would take less money if they could forever and ever, at least in this current job, work from home. Sandra Lavoie is a regional director with Robert Half and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sandra, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. What did you find with working moms and remote work? What is interesting, the our survey showed that 36% of working moms will accept a lower salary to be fully remote compared to approximately 23% of people who are not working moms. So that's a huge difference. Is that a, uh, is that a barometer? Have you done this study before and found a different number? We have, we have done a s study before showing not just for working mom, but for everyone and remote jobs were are here to stay when we did a survey in february i think it was remote jobs were here to stay 85 percent of professionals either wanted a hybrid or remote and we're still seeing that but what's interesting we're seeing now 82 percent of the people looking for work want in, are looking at hybrid or fully remote so approximately the same number is showing now interesting are many mothers out there looking for a new job or a career change what's interesting when we we did our survey is that nearly six out of ten working moms plan to look for a new position in the first half of 2023 
which really affects companies' cultures, companies' like retention, and also costs the company money when we have to you know, refill a position and train and develop people. Absolutely. So that's very concerning. So flexible work is a top priority. Absolutely. And this, this is not going to go away. People and working moms need this. They're looking for flexible schedules. Um, they're looking for, you know, to be able to help with the, you know, with a career and have a career. But being mom is number one. And as a mother, I agree with it. They need that flexibility and to do a great job and be happy. And when you uh, allow and, you know, give working moms this flexibility, you will have happier employees. Sandra Lavoie is a regional director with Robert Half Recruitment Agency. We're going through their latest study that shows uh, 36% of working moms would accept a salary reduction if they could be 100% remote, 100% working from home. How are employers responding to this kind of mindset? Well, employers are listening as they, they have to. And what we're finding is very interesting. They are offering different perks and benefits also. If they cannot offer the fully remote, they might offer a flexible work work schedule. They'll offer, you know, parental leave pay. They'll offer extra family planning benefits. So they're offering different perks to be able to retain uh, working moms. And is, is that attractive to employees? It is very attractive, especially the company parental leave pay, where they do a top-up, that is very attractive for a lot of uh, working moms. Does that run across different demographics as being acceptable or exciting to those employees who say, if I can be flexible or hybrid or fully remote, uh, does that really, does an employer have to tailor-make their approach to different employees? They do because if you have more tenured employee who does not have children, they need to, and they, another employee needs a different flexibility. We need to be having strong communication with all of our employees to see what is going to make our employees happy, retain our staff, and make sure that um, we can grow as a company with happy employees. Remember one thing, if your employees are not happy, they will not stay. Unemployment is still at the, you know, 5%, very, very low, which our lowest was last June and July at 4.9%. They have options. Employees have options today. Do you get the sense that, you know, we're never going to go back to the way it was, and, and we wouldn't because this is clearly working for many people. Do you get the sense that more and more future employees will want to be more and more remote? Absolutely. You know, hybrid or remote is to, is staying. That is not going away. More and more employees want to, you know, to work remote. Keeping in mind with the cost of gas, parking, and the inflation right now, they are saving a lot of money also and also can't afford sometimes to go to work with just the rise of, of food. So this is a big, big savings for working moms. Sounds like it. Sandra, sounds like you have a uh, barn burner of a poll that uh, really hits home with a lot of moms out there. Thanks for joining us today. 
Thank you very much for having me. Sandra Lavoie is a regional director with Robert Half Recruitment Agency. Again, their poll found that 36% of working moms would accept a salary cut to be fully remote. Now, that compares to 29% of working dads and 23% of people who are not working moms. And nearly 6 in 10 working mothers, 57%, plan to or already looking for a new job in the first half of this year. And that compares with 48% who are not working moms. And and one more tidbit from this poll, and Sandra referenced this, 82% of those exploring new job opportunities are interested in hybrid or fully remote roles in particular. And that's a big number, 82%. Imagine 82% of the available workforce, 82 of 100% are saying, you know what, I'd rather be hybrid or fully remote, and they're probably not going to jump at an opportunity until they get something that they want. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. CPL leading Forge FC is in action tonight. They're hosting Atletico Ottawa in the quarterfinals of the Canadian Championship. Kickoff at the Donut Box is 7 p.m. And the winner is going to advance to the semifinals of the Voyagers Cup against either Toronto FC or CF Montreal. And here to talk about it is the captain of Forge FC, Kyle Becker, who joins us on GMH. Kyle, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm pretty good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. You guys are rocking and rolling so far this season. Two wins, two draws. Ottawa, who had a great year last year, struggling out of the gate with two losses and two draws. What do you expect tonight? Yeah, it's a it's a cup game, so you never know. It's a, it's a knockout match. So um, I don't know. I think they're they're probably looking for it as a chance to get their season kind of kick started and get things on the right track. So we have to be very weary of that. We know they're going to be a tough opponent, and anything can happen in in ninety minutes. Forge and Ottawa have met 11 times throughout the years. You guys have won nine of those 11. Do you just have their number? I mean, statistically, I guess we do, but we'll see. (laughs) Now, you guys have won three North Star Shields as CPL champions. Um, You have those in the trophy case. You don't yet have a Voyager's Cup, and and obviously that would look very cool in the trophy case. Is this just harder to win? Well, no, it's, I mean, it's a cup competition. Um, It's four games. You have to be at your best. Uh, you never know what's going to happen, and you get to play a different opponent than we're we're really used to with with guys from different leagues. Um, it it adds something different, that's for sure. This year, it's I think a little bit more special. Obviously, we have the it's another route for us to get into Champions League, which is an ultimate goal for for us as a club at Forge FC. Yeah, it's it's one that we definitely want to we want to be a part of. We want to be in that in that final game playing for a trophy. It would be massive for us to be the first CBL team to lift that trophy. We know it's easier said than done, but it's a it's definitely a big one for us. You were the first CPL team in the final of the Canadian Championship, ultimately losing to TFC in what was a phenomenal game. What experience did you draw from that that can help you this time around? Yeah, it's massive. I mean, we've had a, a ton of experience as a, as a young club playing a big competition, whether it's uh, been CONCACAF League, Champions League, or as you said, the, the Canadian Championship against teams like Montreal and TFC. I think the biggest thing in those games is taking chances. We felt that we uh, we took it to them for, for large parts of that game, but we never uh, got that, that kind of go-ahead goal that kind of put us uh, over the finish line. Then when it comes to penalties, anything can happen. So when, when you're playing big competition, you have to take your chances when they come, and you got to be deadly.
Now, apart from the cup competition, what we're talking about tonight with the Voyagers Cup in the quarterfinals of the Canadian Championship, you also have league play to consider as well, and your next game is this Saturday against Valor FC. Talk about the delicate balance of, of being ready and being 100% fit for all these competitions. You have to uh, go out and, and try to win. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think uh, for us, the importance is you have every single player on the roster ready to ready to play a part. And I think we've seen a, a big rotation early in the season, which is a huge credit to our, our coaching staff, putting uh, giving young guys that opportunity to go out and, and showcase themselves. I mean, if you're a young player and you're you're in the professional environment, what you want to be doing is testing yourself week in and week out. And uh, he's shown that you're he's going to get a, he's going to call your number. So you have to be ready and take that opportunity. I'm curious because Saturday's game starts at four. Tonight's game is at seven. Do you have a preference on whether you want to play in the afternoon or the night? Uh, you know, Saturday, I think it's a little better uh, earlier in the day. Get the fans out. You don't want to take away from their night. Maybe they come out, start their day there, then go on and still have an enjoyable night for us. But uh, it's uh, for me as a player, it doesn't really matter. I think midweek games when you're playing under the lights, it's it's a little special. I think it uh, creates a little bigger of a, an atmosphere and uh, they're definitely ones to enjoy. What do you do all day? <laughs> I think it's changed as as years gone by. I think when I was younger, I would just sleep all day, but now I just kind of get out, enjoy the day, stay a little busy, think about the game as uh, as the day goes on, and then uh, get going. Good for you. Well, hopefully it'll be an enjoyable night tonight, and of course, uh, Saturday with league play resuming as well. Kyle, good luck tonight and the rest of the way. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That's Kyle Becker, captain of Forge FC. Tonight's kickoff is at 7 at Tim Hortons Field. It's the Hammers versus Atletico Ottawa in the quarterfinals of the Canadian Championship. The winner will move on to the semifinals, of course, and trying to win that Voyager's Cup. The next opponent could either be Toronto FC or CF Montreal, which would be exciting either way. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.